We've been looking at how disciples develop resiliency for the last number of weeks, um, in particular, clearing religious and secular clutter, uh, with it, then replacing it with, with a genuine love for Jesus, which is evident then in how they live their everyday lives. And we have now looked at how when it comes to love, God always goes first. We then move to that you and I, we love God with our all, which means that God is above and before any other love. And that loving Jesus involves our disciplines, but it's more than just our spiritual disciplines. It requires us prioritizing a real relationship with the Holy Spirit. And many of you reached out, some of you reached out, not many, not droves. A few of you reached out this week and asked, like, I get it conceptually, but specifically, how do I prioritize a relationship with the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is God. And so when you read the Old Testament and you see how God engages in the life of Moses or Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or Esther or Gideon, when you see how Jesus in the New Testament interacts with people in every walk stage of life, you begin to get a general sense of how the Holy Spirit, who is God, is going to engage your life and my life. And so this is what we want to talk about devotionally today. You want to look at how embracing, how following Jesus, here's what it will do. I promise you, if you are genuinely following Jesus, it will impact your decisions, your discoveries, but also your development and your discipleship. I'm going to drop a breadcrumb here that we're going to pick up next September. How's that for being a little bit early? One of the challenges that we face in North America as we have taught a little bit too much that all you need to do to follow Jesus is pray a prayer. In other words, it is one single decision, but not ongoing development. And the challenge with that is that's not what Jesus said. What Jesus said is absolutely salvation can come at a prayer, at a moment, but his invitation is that we would follow him with all of our lives. This is what Jesus said, not just pray a prayer in a church or somewhere one day. It includes that, but it's also to orienting our lives around him. And none of our lives are perfect. Every single one of us have ups and downs and failures and detours and times where we trust God and times where we trust in ourselves too much and times when we are deceived. Every single one of us, these are woven into all of our stories. And God is at work in the midst of all of that in all of our hearts today. And I want to touch today on Moses's life. In about three months, I'm going to preach this again. And you're going to be thinking to yourself, if you're here, I, I think you talked about that a few months ago. This sounds similar. It's not similar. It's identical. You're going to hear it again. It's not always what the new that God wants to do. It's we need to be faithful with what he's asked us to do. We are sometimes so desirous for new, for new, for new. And sometimes I can't help but just wonder if God looks and says, I'll do something new when you're faithful with what I've already given you. Step into it here. So Moses is an incredible story of someone who learned to see, to know, and to follow God before he could lead the children of Israel out of Egypt to the edge of the promised land. In the life of Moses, together we could walk through his time in Egypt, his reluctance to lead, his rash decisions, God's supernatural work through him, what he saw God do, the loneliness of leadership, the Ten Commandments, lots of the things that we can actually look at in the life of Moses. But we're going to start with a place that seems rather insignificant. Out of everything that we discuss, there is an evident action for us to see. You see, while Moses' culture and his circumstances are vastly different from yours today, finding God at work in the place 
of our discipleship, of our surrendered yes, of our disappointments, our disillusionments, our detours, the things where we're like, man, how did I end up here? What, where, how, what, how, why? This place, finding where God is at work, where God is at work, where the enemy is at work and our desires and the mix of all of that together is in a single soup that we're often trying to work through. I want you to see that there is a very, very profound way in which God is trying to move into your story, but it's going to take something important from you. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He had led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Moses is in the wilderness, and in a moment we're going to explain why he's there. But Moses is in the wilderness, and it simply says that he's leading the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, who was the priest of Midian. And if you know anything about Moses' life, you should start to have warning bells going off right now because you can see that God's not called Moses to lead a flock. He's called them to lead his people. Yet sometimes God will lead us to a place of development that precedes where it is that he's desiring to take us. Sometimes there's things that God's got to pull out of us before he can push us into what he has for us. And Moses, on the backside of the desert for decades, is in this place this wilderness season. And here's what I want to give a real loving word to some of you who find yourself in wilderness seasons. Seasons where it feels like your prayers hit the ceiling and bounce down. Seasons where it feels as though everyone else seems to hear from God perfectly and you can't hear anything. Seasons where when you look, you can't see anything good. You can't see God at work. Here's what I want you to know. God has a special purpose for wilderness seasons in our lives. If we will trust what he is trying to do through the season in our lives. Amen. And that's the key. If we will trust, not in the outcome, if we will trust what he is doing and can do in our lives, this is what is significant. And Moses is on this journey. He's learning to trust. And in the ordinary day-to-day task, everyone say ordinary. It wasn't this day that we're about to speak of was not on Moses' schedule. It was on God's. In the ordinary day-to-day -day tasks, he comes near a mountain. And Moses is only here because earlier in his life, if you're younger, if you're in like your late teens, 20s, I think there's a prophetic whisper even for our culture here. Maybe. But God will often give you the ability to see something before he'll give you the permission to step into something. And what you see isn't wrong. But in order for you to step into it, what you see isn't wrong. But the size of your trust in God needs to be enlarged. And in, in order for God to enlarge the size of your trust, he's got to take away other things that you're trusting in. And I've been through this season, and let me let you know, it is wonderfully fruitful, but it is deeply painful. But it is worthy of the adventure. Moses you know anything about his life, we'll recap it again in just a moment. But one day he sees an Israelite who he is an Israelite. He sees an Israelite being brutalized by an Egyptian. And he sees injustice and injustice is wrong. But rather than knowing what to do, he just lashes out with what he knows to do. 
And as a result of lashing out, knowing what he knows to do, he takes the life of an Egyptian when his destiny is actually to lead the children of Israel out of captivity. And so rather than lead lives out, he takes life. And as a result of it, then the next thing is he worries about Pharaoh. He succumbs to the fear of man. And this is why and where Moses ends up in the backside of the desert. From love, Moses is leading. Moses is led by God into hiddenness for development. And that a time of God's choosing comes a defining moment. And defining moments cannot be scheduled, but they must be seized. And here's what it says in Exodus chapter 3, verses 2 to 3. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not being consumed. And Moses simply said, I want you to see this. Moses, this is all he said. I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned. I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned. And here's what I will say. If you and I wish to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, you and I must be prepared for disruption in our everyday lives. We must be prepared to just turn aside to see where it is and what it is that God could be at work doing. And here's what I will tell you is the one of the areas or one of the ways or one of the things I should say that absolutely blinds humanity is when our hearts get hardened by criticism and cynicism, we will no longer be curious to see where God is at work. We will only point out to others where we think God should be at work. And this is powerful. This is not for somebody out there. This is for us in this season. When Moses looked at everything that Egypt was, his heart could have been full of cynicism and criticism. But week by week and month by month and year by year and decade by decade, all of a sudden God begins to whittle that away in the wilderness season. And on this day that only God knows, it's a divine opportunity. And it says that Moses turned aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Loved ones, devotionals are not just devotionals. Why do you spend time with the Lord? You turn aside to see what it is that God may be doing. You put yourself in the posture of Lord, you could speak to me today. Not every day is a burning bush day, but you don't know when that day is. Every day is a training day for a burning bush day. And here's the amazing thing. The longer you and I follow Jesus, oftentimes the decisions and the moments that set different trajectory for our lives, they do not feel powerful in the moment. Our Kanata campus began with an email. Hey, do you want to meet about? We called it a big gulp email. Our Cornwall campus began with seeds with Pastor Barry decades ago. Pastor Joy sowing into the community and relationships. No idea that that meant this. It just meant this. Just be faithful. Everyone put your hands out in front of you. You just did it in a moment of worship. It's just being faithful with what God has put into your hands and then seeing what next he may place into your hands. Just be faithful with what's there. And this is what Moses is doing. And here's what it says. 
Then Moses turns aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And please don't miss this, because it's in the Bible for a reason. And again, Moses isn't the only story. We could do this in Gideon's life. We could do this in Esther's life. We could do this in Peter's life in the New Testament. And we can do this in our lives. I'll give you an example of mine in just a few minutes. But here's what it says. It says, Moses turns aside. He's willing to be disruptive. He's willing not just to have his schedule so confined to everything. He's willing not to say, this is what I know about God. This is all God can do. He's willing to turn aside to be disrupted. And here's what it says in Exodus chapter 3, verse 4, next verse. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see. When the Lord saw that he turned aside, the God who knows everything puts into his word how significant it is from God's perspective that Moses is actually humble and curious enough to turn aside to see where God may be at work. Are you, how do you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit? Get curious in your day-to-day life about where he may be at work. Get curious enough to be disrupted. Get curious enough to chase little whispers. Maybe you're at work and you feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit to go pray for a coworker, and your hands are going to begin to sweat and your heart's going to begin to palpitate a mile in different ways. But you don't walk up and do it safely. Walk up and say, hey, you know, I, I just want to, is it okay if I prayed for you? Or maybe you have a relationship and you know what to pray for. What's the worst that can happen? They say no, to which you respond inwardly, not outwardly. No problem. I'm just going to go pray for you at my desk over here. It's all good. It's all good. But don't walk up to them and say, the Lord has sent me to you. Don't do that. They don't need to know that part of the story. That's for you. Your part is that the God of heaven loves you. They need to know how much they're loved. Some of us, we want to appear more significant And so we mess up moments due to our own insecurity masquerading as spirituality when if we were really humble, humble, we would just trust the Holy Spirit. Oh, loved ones, be careful of anyone who needs a title to be someone in this world. (laughs) Just be faithful. Here's what I do. I don't even say it like the Lord would say. Some of you can. I'm just more humble. Like, he might be. I always give myself an out. (laughs) Every time. Like, Like he maybe, hey, this may resonate. It doesn't resonate with me. Then I'm off. (laughs) The best thing about being off is then you can be humbled. And if you can be humbled, you know what? God will use you again. But if you believe you can never be off, he won't use you because you're dangerous. You're dangerous. You're not humble. And he opposes the proud. He loves you. But you know what you do? Like Moses, you're going to be in the desert a little while longer. Why? Until that breaks off. And that's not because God doesn't love you. It's because he loves you so very much. Think about all that's going to transpire after this moment for Moses. His willingness to be disrupted revealed the deeper desire for a relationship with God. Now, I don't want to get too into Moses' business. But I want to just touch it briefly. Why is Moses in the desert for the length of time that he is? I'm not sure, really. But I can think that he's in a drawn-out season as the Lord begins to first and foremost heal his identity. He is a Hebrew who's grown up in Egypt and perhaps... He's unsure of who he is from God's perspective. He knows who he was 
So he's got this growing burden that he's Hebrew, but he has this relationship with the house of Pharaoh. But maybe he's in a place, but he knows Pharaoh and he knows maybe his history, but he doesn't yet fully know God. And when he fully knows God, God can then set in him who he is in terms of his heritage and ethnicity, but also why in God's providence he had him grow up in Pharaoh's house to know what it is that God's about to use his life. And that comes not by, not by Moses knowing himself or knowing the culture. That only comes by Moses knowing God. And we have a generation that has, is secularized and Christianized who is confused and we are praying that the next generation would experience and know God in such a way as both things become crystal clear. But right now we're leading through the season of confusion. Loved ones, it is not only the work of the enemy, it is the work of God to lovingly clarify whom he has created us to be. Moses has insecurities. He has a stammer and he thinks other people are more qualified than him. Anybody here ever feel that someone else is more qualified to do what God's asking you to do? If it is too small, if it's too big for you, then let God into the space. Everything. How many of you know life's too big for all of us? The brokenness of life is too big. I, I was moved beyond moved, beyond moved this week reading about a Ukrainian pastor whose city has been bombed 4,500 times in the last 12 months. Yet his church has grown from 150 to 1,500 people. If you, I, I'm forgetting his name, but when I was reading his story, all that you kept hearing was this. It is too big. It is too big. It is too big. It is too much. But God just seems to be faithful and faithful and faithful and faithful. And every next family and every next family that is sent whose house no longer is, God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. But here's the thing, we never had all of the provision before, all of the plans before, all of the wisdom before. We just simply are being faithful with what we have in our hands. Some of us are trying to get everything perfect before we launch out, and that's foolishness. That's foolishness. I'm not saying don't, don't be like a, a silly person with it. I need to follow up too with Julie. What the heck is a dodo? What's a dodo? When you were doing it, I was like, what's a dodo? Five dodos. Five, I only know like dodo birds. It sleeps. Five sleeps. I should have been able to figure that out, but I couldn't. So it's like five dodos. I'm like, eh? What is that? I don't know. Okay. When you are most unsure of who you are, you have two choices. You can root your identity in what you do not know, or you can trust that the God who created you has never lose sight of whom he's created you to be. And you can go to Pharaoh, and you can go to culture, and you can go to yourself. But none of those things know whom God has created you to be. Moses turned aside, and God saw that he turned aside to see.
Now, you may be asking this question, or you may be saying this, yeah, this is a nice story, but in my life, like if God wants to set a shrub on fire to give me clarity, I would really appreciate that. And I would say to you, this is a shadow. You have the Holy Spirit that is the fire of God living on the inside of you, which is the substance that Moses would have dreamed to live. This is the shadow. And loved ones, Moses turning aside to see the shrub, it's not like everything then in his life was perfect. What it simply meant is God, this was his invitation into a development journey to know who God is, to Moses to know who and what I have called you to do, and then to begin to trust me in, in your imperfection steps all along the way. Last thing, Moses, or Exodus 3, verses 5 to 6. Moses turns and God sees that he turns. And then he said, don't come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Holy means set apart. The place where you turn aside to see where God is at work and the place where God sees that you turn aside and meets you there is holy. Meaning it is set apart, it is separate, it is different from any and every other place in life. Where I met Lori is a beautiful place. Elam, New York. Not the town. Her in the town made it beautiful. But it's not holy. Where God meets us is separate. It is higher. It is different. It is apart. And it is holy. And it's not the dirt upon which Moses stood. Because then you and I could go to the part, that place and pick up sand after sand. It's like we're carrying holiness. It's not what it is. It is the presence of God that takes the ordinary and makes it holy. It is the God of heaven who touches anything. And when God touches anything, that thing becomes set apart, separate, and different. It is why God gives the instruction to Moses, take off your sandals change your posture because this place where I'm going to meet with you is unlike any other place. It is why your spiritual enemy works triple overtime for you to never change your posture to engage God's presence. The most contested place in your walk with Christ is not the place of your sin. It is the place of your breakthrough. The place of your sin is the place of your bondage. But if you meet God in the place of your breakthrough, he will deal with the bondage. But if you only look at your sin and not where to meet with God, then you're missing where God is at work. Final story. These are the ordinary shoes. This story is entirely subjective, and I get that. But I'm, hopefully it'll be helpful for you. When I was 17 years old, I loved basketball. 16, 17, 15, 16, 17, that age. Wasn't good at it, but I loved it. 
I loved watching it. My favorite team was the Chicago Bulls. Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. <laughs> Anything else is heresy, okay? My father gave me, gave me one of the greatest trips, brought me to Philadelphia, and I got to see the Philadelphia 76ers take on the Chicago Bulls. And uh, deep, deep memory. But on that trip, I bought my first pair of Air Jordans and joy filled my heart. And then in the subsequent years was gifted and also bought lots of other pairs of Air Jordans. Now, because I'm stupid, I didn't keep any of them because they would have been worth a fortune now to have all the originals. And why do I share that? Because that season was just a season of joy for me, like just sheer joy. And I remember it well. And for some reason, not a lot, but significantly, God has used shoes to speak to me. And when I became lead pastor, somebody here in the church put a gift on my desk with a note. And it was a note honoring my father. We had just transitioned. And the note simply said, you know, we honor your father for everything that he does and everything he'll continue to do. But just so you know, we don't need you to fill his shoes. We just need you to step into your own. And it was a tremendous gift and it was a blessing. And you may not know this, you probably don't, but for the first year of preaching, I wore those shoes every single Sunday. And every Sunday I put them on, it was significant for me, right? Now my father didn't put any of that pressure on me whatsoever, but it was significant for me to remind me. And it was a significant thing. Fast forward, I'm now 45 and well, in my early 40s or mid 40s, and I'm at a place in my life where I've lost all my joy. I don't know if you know what it is to lose all your joy. I don't mean most of my joy. I mean, I've lost all my joy, all of it. And one day I am praying and just doing, if in the wilderness season, just praying, asking the Lord, opening my heart before God. And I felt the Lord put on my heart that he wanted me to go buy a pair of shoes like this. And my first thought was, I'm 45. <laughs> Like full confession for y'all. I got this shirt at Costco. I'm at the age where I buy my groceries, where I buy my clothes. So like this shirt I got at Costco, these socks, I got 12 of them for, or 10 of them for $12. I'm not gonna talk about my underpants, but they may be from Costco too. <laughs> so like, this is my level. This is $12.99 that I could slip into the grocery cart and then we're at Costco. There's gotta be some reward to going to Costco. This was it. So this is the stage of life that I'm at, okay? And so when I felt the Lord go, ah, I don't know. But by faith, I bought these shoes. Now every subsequent pair that I've bought after, that's greed. That's not part of this story, okay? At all. That's 100% me. That's just greed. <laughs> but this is what I felt the Lord say to me. 45, lost all of my joy. Every time you put them on, I want you to, by faith, trust that step by step, I am the God who's going to restore everything that the enemy has stolen. That I'm going to restore not only your joy, but I'm going to continue to work until the story is joy-filled. And my joy is being restored and the story is not yet joy-filled. So I'm going to be 50 and I'm still by faith wearing these shoes. Now, is there anything special about these shoes? Not at all. 
not at all, but they're significant for me. So they're, <laughs> now here's the foolishness. Like, thus says the Lord, go buy shoes. I'm not saying that. Some of you are like, the Lord's saying that to me. Don't do that. I'm not saying that. When God speaks something to you, it's for you. When you then, so subjectivity when God speaks should not become objectivity for everybody else. Here's what I want you to know. Most of the things that God speaks are for you, not for somebody else. It's for you to be faithful. It's for you to ground your heart into. And so for you, when you look at me, you're like, oh, there's Jay with a pair of shoes. But for me, it is something different. Here's what I know. For you, it may not be shoes. It may be a job. It may be somewhere. But here's all I know. that The same God who was at work in Moses' life is the same God who's at work in your life. That when you turn to see and God sees that you turn to see, oh, this place is holy. It's set apart from every other place. And your spiritual enemy wants you to get your eyes on how everybody else has to change, on how everything else has to change, on how everything is lost and everything is broken. Your spiritual enemy wants you to look everywhere except for the place that God is at work. But you, loved ones, you, loved ones, are more wise than that. You're more humble than that. And you're more surrendered than that. And so step into the place where God is at work. And may God do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all you can think, ask, or imagine. May the Lord bless you.